Coming up on episode 135 of Appetite for Distortion, we'll be speaking with guitarist Richard Duguay. You may know his credits from The Spaghetti Incident, his guitar playing on You Can't Put Your Arms Around a Memory, and touring with Duff McKagan on Believe in Me. We're going to find out just how close he was to joining GNR. Also, Richard brought us some music. He brought us some gifts for his upcoming record, Bad Juju. We're going to hear some new music, not just from Richard, but from you. Welcome to the podcast. Do you know where you are? Do you know where you are? is Appetite for Distortion. And welcome to the podcast. Step right up, it's showtime. Brothers, sisters, hurricanes, and tricksters. In these troubled times, you must decide. Are you living or just killing time? Would you step into the darkness to see the light? Will you walk through the fire with me? Are you ready? Are you ready to death defy? I think I'm ready. It is showtime. Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 135. My name is Brando, and the elongated intro, uh, that is our courtesy to our, our guest today, uh, Richard Duguay. I'm, I'm saying your last name properly, right? It's not like French Duguay or anything like that? It is French, but um, you got it pretty uh, pretty spot on. I'm surprised, actually. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> so uh, thanks, Richard. So that is uh, Death Defy off your brand new album, Bad Juju. And your right. your your, fa- your your band is still called Fuck You Fame Whore. Is that is that true? Uh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> was that a fun uh, thing you I, did? Well, uh, I've kind of just keep changing the the. I mean, it's kind of always Richard Duguay and Hounds uh, or Fucky Fame Whore or whatever. Um, so it kind of just, they're all different things, but they're all under the same umbrella, for lack of a better term. Okay. You know, this one's just called Bad Juju. I like it. Bad Juju. So Richard uh, Duguay, if, I mean, many of you already know when I announced. Uh, the guest note and his contributions to the uh, spaghetti incidents. You can't put your arms around a memory, uh, knowing about him touring with Duff for the Believe in Me album. But this guy is is so much more uh, than that, and that's kind of what we do here, Richard, with, to find out about. Because it's not like you have your own Wikipedia page. <laughs> you know, you have... That's, that's what I've been told. Yeah, well, you are kind of like a walking uh, encyclopedia, but you're just maybe the... 
one of the lesser known characters, but deservedly needs to be more known. So that's why I really appreciate you reaching out. And uh, last episode, and I put, I guess, put it on. I think you just, you actually just shared my my status. So I don't know if you are aware of that letter that I got. Oh, I I just saw it when you posted it. Excellent. Yeah. So uh, a fan from Australia. Um, he he reached out wanting an episode dedicated to the uh, spaghetti incident, and I get letters like that all the time or messages on on social media. But just the way it was written, and it just got me thinking, and you know, doing my research, and it came across your name. I'm like, you know what? I want to know more about this guy, especially when I'm googling you and I'm seeing you know New York fucking city T-shirts, and I'm here in New York fucking city, so we got to make this <laughs> make this happen. Absolutely. So where are you? And, and uh, later on today, we're gonna um, in this episode, we're gonna play another clip from one of your the upcoming album. Or is it? It's not out now, right? Bad Juju. It's it's upcoming up. Oh, it's coming out. I believe the first week of September. Okay. We're just uh, just in the final stages of mixing and uh, getting some promo together, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. And later on, we're going to get uh, another track off Bad Juju, Dr. Silver, and we're going to do something kind of fun. Uh, in addition to getting letters, making guest uh, suggestions, you know, just like you, Richard, there are a lot of people in bands. I don't know if you've heard. So, I heard. Yeah. So, so a couple of listeners of mine sent in uh, some clips of their band wanting to promote, and I thought it would be fun if we listened to, it, uh, to them on the show together. And when they heard that you cool. would be listening, they got really excited. So that's going to be kind of a... Uh, a cool thing to do, but that's that's later on. I want to know more about Richard. Where are you calling from, by the way, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, from Los Angeles. Okay. I've, uh, I've been been here on and off since, I don't know, 90, something like that. Something like that. Um, yeah, just, uh, just uh, calling from my studio, actually. Okay. Just, uh, yeah, just working on the record and whatnot. Are you, since you uh, said since 90, I know you're um, much, I won't say that, that was, that was almost insulting. You're older than if you were born in 1990. Uh, where are you originally from? Uh, originally from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Nice, okay. Yes. Um, born in 61, believe it or not. <clears throat> Had I known I was going to last this long, I may have taken better care of myself, but <laughs> probably not. <laughs> What's the fun in that? Well, exactly. But that's that's cool. Um, I, I've said because everything on this show is a, a six degrees of Guns N' Roses bacon connecting everything. So I've I'm not going to bore you, but I, I've told this story of how I I dated a girl from Ottawa, and the reason why, how I found a an Ottawa girl was because of uh, our Guns N' Roses fandom and found each other online. And um, I, I, I haven't been to Winnipeg. I've, I've only been to Montreal, obviously Ottawa, uh, Quebec. Um, but the, but Winnipeg is, you know, is, is so, I'm an avid hockey fan, so I'm glad to get, for you guys to get your Jets back. So I like right. watching Jet games when they're on uh, on TV. Not the New York Jets because they're terrible, but the Winnipeg Jets because <laughs> – the fans just seem crazy up there with the whiteout that they, they put up with all the towels. So it's, um, I'm wondering if we can start maybe what the Winnipeg scene, at least from when you were around, is like. Because I know you were in a punk band uh, back in the day. Right. Well, Winnipeg is kind of in the middle of nowhere. I mean, really. It's like the closest, you know, big 
quote unquote cities or excuse me, um, Toronto or Vancouver, and we're basically right smack in the middle of it. So there's not a whole, especially back in the mid seventies, et cetera. It wasn't, wasn't evolving like, let's say London or New York or LA or whatever in terms of music and stuff like that. So it was pretty, you know, we started listening to, you know, the sex pistols and the dad and the heartbreakers and all that stuff, which was a tiny bit later, but, uh, but, there was nobody there was no scene there was no nothing it was just a bunch of kids who were bored listening to this crazy new music out 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 of uh mostly london at that point and uh you know i saw this i always remember seeing this ad in sniff and glue which was a fanzine put out by mark p um, who was later on a band called Alternative TV, I believe. Anyway, it was a quote from Brian James, who was in The Damned. And he basically said, nobody in a band is worthless. And I kind of thought about it even back then, and I still remember it many, many decades, as it were, later. And we just decided to start playing, me and my friend Mark from uh, from Winnipeg. So we just bought some cheap gear and, you know, punk rock, if it, it gave me nothing else, it gave me the license to start a band mm. and not not to care what anybody thought or said about it or whatever. It was just all about us having fun and doing doing what, whatever we wanted to do. And uh, we didn't think that there was anybody else in Winnipeg who was into this new music, etc. And we you know we were into Bowie and Iggy and stuff like that. <laughs> MC five. But I also grew up listening to, you know, what passed for hard rock in those days and, you know, like I was a huge KISS fan, believe it or not. Still am of the early stuff. Um so we just, you know, kept playing and got a little better and then the scene started coming together and uh you know, there was a lot of hair-raising moments of being chased because we were different, because Winnipeg is a pretty redneck town. Okay. And, uh, you know, it's a good thing I excelled at sprinting and <laughs> stuff when I was in school, because it sure paid dividends later on in my life. Uh, but, you know, we, we didn't always get away, so you had to learn how to fight and whatnot, blah, blah, blah. Um, so yeah, we just, you know, we started a band called Low Life and, uh, which predates Public Image's song of the same name. Um, and we were basically the first punk rock band in Winnipeg and we put out a single in 79, I believe. Wow. Okay. And, uh, which was released, re-released by Hozak Records out of Chicago, I think, a couple of years ago, which was interesting. But, uh, yeah, we did that, and then we broke up before it came out, of course, like every good band. <laughs> sure. Yeah. and uh, that's, that's more that's more punk than breaking up. True. It didn't seem to hurt sales of the record, actually. We ended up selling almost... I don't know, a thousand of the forty fives, I think, something like that. Okay. 
which, you know, allowed us to buy our own homes. And no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it, uh, basically, it paid for itself. That was about it. So, you know, that was a humble beginning and stuff. But, you know, all I ever wanted to do at that point in my life was to put out a 45. You know, that was that was success on that kind of level. And then, of course, as human nature does, then I wanted to do an album, you know, and just keep growing. And even though I was too dumb, too dumb and young to know anything about anything, but um, just kept doing it. And uh, then I, you know, fast forward a little bit and we started this band called Personality Crisis in 1980, which was named after the Dolls song, even though musically we had nothing in common with them at that point. But uh, and then we toured you know, uh, basically Western Canada and to California and back a bunch of times. Broke up, you know, and then I kind of moved to Vancouver in late 1988, I believe it was, and started started other musical things. But in that personality crisis tour of 1983, I believe it was, we were in Seattle and I met this guy, who was a friend of the band, the Fastbacks. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Not familiar. Um, yeah, they're, they're great. As Kim and Lulu and, oh God, guitar player who is an amazing guitar player, but I can't think of his name right now. And anyway, Duff had played drums for them at one point. So okay. I, I met him. I met him through Kim and Lulu and we just hit it off like, Sometimes you meet people in, in life's travel, so you just kind of know instinctively that they're going to be good. You're going to be really good friends or whatever that may entail. And it was just one of those things where we just just stuck like glue for, you know, probably the week we were there. And then in 84, when we went back to Seattle, we hung out again. And uh, it wasn't long after that that he moved to Hollywood, I believe. I think he moved in like 85 or something, something like that. And then we just kept in touch over the years. And um, in 1990, I guess it was, maybe it was 89, I was in this band called TT Racer in Vancouver. And... uh, I sent Duff a cassette um, of our demo, and he loved it and offered to help us. And we came down to do a bunch of showcases down in Hollywood and stuff. And then he got us in touch with some labels, and we did uh, we did a demo deal with Polygram, I believe. And uh, that we moved to L.A. in ninety. One, I think, and then everything fell apart in a hurry because certain people thought that we were going to be rich and famous within six weeks, apparently, and uh, to my shock and surprise, that didn't happen. (laughs) That rarely does. Yeah. I mean, it was typical big fish in a small pond, you know, sort of, and then we came out here and realized, even though I... I mean, honestly, having toured a bunch and stuff, I knew it was not going to be a 
that simple, of course, but others obviously had the experience at that point, and so it kind of just fell away. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, you can interject any any uh, relevant subject matter at this point. <laughs> I was just letting you go. No, I was just, I, I was, <laughs> I usually, it's funny you say that because I usually have an interrupting problem and I was telling myself, let him just keep going. Let's, let's see where he wants to go with it. So actually what, what I was thinking, um, despite the fact that you, you led up to your friendship with Duff, I want to backtrack a little bit and mm-hmm. I don't want to be a, uh, a cliche American and, and just assume that all Canadians uh, listen to Rush. So I'm just curious that why did why did uh, punk grab you? And that's the thing with Duff. You know, Slash is, you know, very bluesy. Axel loves, you know, the El- Elton John and Queen. They all brought their own element, but Duff is known for being the punk rock guy. So he's talked about that at length. What made you identify with with punk and go that route instead of, you know, wanting to be uh, Alex Lifeson or something like that? Well, I think going back to my uh, Brian James quote, nobody in a band is worthless and the whole early punk rock stuff where you don't have to be a virtuoso to Mm. be in a band. Uh, Like prior to punk rock, I was listening to a lot of, you know, hard rock stuff, whatever it may be. And I always kind of just thought of the the guitar players specifically at that point that you had to have been touched by a god or something. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it didn't saying. it didn't seem to be something the average person could could do. Hmm. And you know, obviously, you know, in seventy seven, I was sixteen or whatever it was. <clears throat> but you know, because. I mean, as today, but maybe a bit different or obviously a bit different 40 plus years ago or 40 or 30, whatever it is, <laughs> 40, I guess. Um, the rock magazines, which was really the only form of of in, information about bands and, and stuff like that, right. obviously much prior to the Internet. They all lauded these, you know, the great guitar players like Hendrix and, you know, Brian May, Alex Lifeson, for that matter, that they were just so amazing that it was above and beyond. And what punk gave me was the license to do it, to to not have to be a virtuoso or maybe not even want to be one. You know, uh, you know, I used to I get that. watch washing dishes and doing whatever one does at that age to make money, you know, we'd go downtown and buy records like every week. And this was prior to punk rock. So it's probably 75 or something. And you buy these records pretty much sight unseen or unheard for the most part. And, you know, there'd be one great rock song on it. And there, the rest would be like a snooze fest. And it, you know, I mean, was I disillusioned? I mean, I, I guess so, you know, not having the greatest upbringing or anything, not upbringing, but family thing. I mean, our family is pretty shambolic and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was just a lot of, a lot of boredom, you know, it was just music. Just, and then when I heard punk rock, 
you know, we started going downtown and buying punk rock 45s instead of the new UFO or Ted Nugent or whatever it might have been. And there was this energy that was not prevalent in any of the quote unquote hard rock at the time. And that was, you know, it just kind of grabbed me where it was kind of, it was exciting. I mean, it's it's not a story that's unique because I've heard many people in interviews say the same thing. Well, sure, it's, but it's what's like new, unique to you. You know, what if there was a, a certain band or song or just personality where it clicked and be like, you know, that's what I want to do. Not just to be inclusive and, and hang out with your friends and go to shows, but to make it to make you want to do it for a living, to still be doing it today. Was there a, a, a moment for you, whether it be at that time when you were younger or when you already had started bands where it said, you know what, this is this is what I want to be doing for the rest of my life. And and and, and someday in 2019, I'll be putting out a new album, Bad Juju. <laughs> was there a certain way no, where it clicked? No, I mean, no, no, not really. I mean, it's it just, you know... The, the National Enquirer headline would be, you know, punk rock saved my life. I mean, <laughs> okay. you know, it changed my life. I mean, it, it really, it it completely changed my life. And, you know, was it any one moment? No, it was pretty much all consuming in terms of just, you know, we were, you know, it was... It was underground, therefore it wasn't, you know, not to maybe put too fine a point on it, but it it seemed kind of subversive because everybody we knew was listening to Sticks and, you know, whatever, whatever was big, REO Speedway, you know, right. whatever at that time. And we had something that was completely ours. It wasn't co-opted. It wasn't, certainly wasn't popular in Winnipeg. I mean, I, I remember buying records and bringing them to school because I'd go on my break or something and, you know, have people would just like shake their head and just you know, like they just didn't get it. And it was, you know, it's kind of like the, the whole outsider thing where, you know, I mean, the first time I ever heard a Stooges song at a movie theater, I just about shit. can't <laughs> even remember what movie it was, but... Uh, it was a car commercial, I think, and it was TVI, and I was and I was in shock. I was like, "What the?" You know, it was kind of one of those moments where it's like, "Oh, this is no longer ours," and you know, maybe that's pretty inclusive in terms of that. But I don't know. It's just kind of what did Bukowski say? You know, find something you love and let it kill you, mm. something like that. You know, it was just. And I guess I found on the, along the way that I wasn't really cut out for much else. I mean, I've had lots of jobs and done fairly well in that respect and whatnot, but nothing ever makes me feel whole is when I'm playing music or writing music or whatever, you know? And if that ain't... If that's not what I'm here to to do, then I really don't know what it is because it's the only time I really put my heart and soul into any endeavor as such as being productive musically. And it kind of just happened over time. I mean, there was never a, you know, I never 
kidded myself thinking that I was ever going to make a living doing it. I mean, you know, having started when you'd get your ass kicked for being into punk rock, let alone, you know, being an outside, outside of, you know, the realm of what would be considered normal society at that point. So it was just, just about following, just following wherever it took me, you know? It's interesting because we mentioned uh, some of the big guitars and, and being touched by the, the metaphoric hand of God that seemed like so uh, unreal that you can have that kind of life. But if you were into punk, do, did you see you know the Stooges or the Ramones or, or any bands and, and who had success that made, they weren't REO Speedwagon, perhaps that level of success? Um, and, 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 and of course, <laughs> and I mean, well, time is, has changed a lot of things anyway, you know, people going back and reliving these mm-hmm. things. Uh, but was there a certain goal that you wanted to achieve of it's how we say, how, how do we define success? To me, you're successful. You're still making new music today. Totally. So, Absolutely. but was there a certain level? And I, I, I combine that with your friendship with Duff, because Duff may have thought the same stuff. Like, at, at, he's growing up in Seattle playing punk. Uh, what, that, that scene, was it going grungy? Would he ever think he would ever make it? And obviously he's made it. So was there ever a, I guess, a certain path or success that you wanted to see? Because it, it, it happened to your friends. So that's how you know it's tangible. So, it's so, un- right. so, so it, it, can, it can happen. So I guess, right. is, is there something but, you ever looked you know, at to, hey. You know, the only time I ever had lofty ambition in terms of, in regards to that, like what people would consider successful, sure. at, you know, for example, selling millions of records and selling out stadiums, was when Duff was involved with uh, trying to get us a deal for my band TT Racer in 91 and probably 92 you know where we were people were flying out and our people were flying out to vancouver to check us out and you know we we had talked to a whole bunch of labels and then finally polygram gave us a bit of money to to do a demo and stuff and you know it had never you know yeah and i guess it was well if he can you know um make it for lack of a better term than it is possible. But what I found was at that point where I was pretty much running the show for that particular band in terms of dealing with record company people and entertainment lawyers and this and that. Um, I remember one night there was a, I think it was Duff's birthday party. And I think the guy's name was, Eddie Rosenblatt, I think he was the president of Geffen, I think, at the time. Okay. And Duff came up to me, and he's like, hey, man, there's Eddie Rosenblatt. You know, you should go talk to him, blah, 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 blah. And I kind of looked at Duff, and I went, what the fuck would I have to say to him? And, you know, you're kind of like shooting yourself in the foot. You know, but it's like, you know, Eddie Rosenblatt, this guy's a fucking huge... I just was never into the self. I was never good at selling myself in terms of... I I gotcha. Music. I just... I'm a pretty mellow guy, and I'm 
pretty quiet for the most part, especially when I don't know people. Mm, sure. Uh, and, you know, it's like I, my mentality, and obviously time has proven to be proven to, that I was incorrect and wrong, but it was, you know, give them the fucking cassette at that time. And if they dig it, they'll get a hold of me, you know, because I just, I didn't care about dealing. I just, you know, I just wanted to be a fucking guitar player at that point. Mm. You know, I just, I don't, you know, and I just got really, really burnt out dealing with, uh, you know, Oh, we, we love you guys, blah, blah, blah. You know, oh, we're, we need an extension on the deadline of this because of this and dealing with entertainment. It just, I got so burnt out with, you know, quote, unquote, making it. Um, I just kind of like walked away from it for a while because it just, you know, I, I was sort of a businessman, uh, you know, a failed businessman, apparently, because I never sold anything. But, um, you know, I just, that's not why I got into music. I got into music to play music, not to fucking sell it to somebody. And, you know. I got you. Other people, you know, no names needed or anything, but who were far better and, and possibly less talented. And I'm not saying I'm talented, I'm just using it as you now. You know, and it's like it just I just wasn't born to be a fucking huckster, you know? It's like if somebody believes in what I'm doing, that's fucking great. And if they can help, great. If not, I don't really care, you know. I I got sober like just over ten years ago. Great. And I, you know, woke up from a couple of decade long narcotic slumber, maybe, <laughs> possibly. Um, can you say that on here? Sure. <laughs> um, if you want to, that's, that's fine. So. Yeah, I don't care. Narcotic Slumber. That sounds like a good band name. Maybe that'll be your your new band name. Yeah. Or a song. It kind of evokes a little bit of music and not getting a lot done now, you know? I guess. I don't know. I I, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could always, you know, write another song for the new record and put it on there. You know, any anything is possible at this point. Um, anyway, I had pretty much not quit music, but for all intents and purposes, I wasn't really doing much because when you're an addict, it's kind of, as Wayne Kramer from the MC5 said, it's pretty much a 24-7 gig. Mm. I kind of woke up after, you know, that period and just started, you know, I have a studio in my house and just started kind of playing again and recording and and eventually I was writing a bunch of new stuff and loving it you know just and I realized at a certain point that I was playing music again for exactly the same reasons why I started was just because I loved music not not because of drugs or booze or or girls or you know because that wasn't why I started in the first place right Although a lot of people say they, they did, and that's cool. You know, it was never my motivation. My motivation was just, just you know, is it pure? Fuck, I don't know. Not for me to decide that. But just, uh, and I realized that I was doing it for the same reason I started, and it hasn't stopped, which is 
you know, it says a lot about me being sober. That's for damn sure. Absolutely. Uh, you you got to do it when you're, you're, you're ready. Uh, I, I've mentioned before, I, I never want to say sober because I still have, you know, there are certain things that are medical that are, you know, I, right. I, I whatever. Let's just say, put it like that. But I haven't had a drink, uh, and I think in about three years in December, three or four years. My memory is shot. I, it's been it's been three years, let's say, since I've I've had a drink. And I understand what you're saying about the passion and not wanting to sell yourself or being bad at it, because that's kind of how I feel. Uh, for my career, I would you know I would work on classic rock stations, FM stations, and I was not. I wasn't like the morning person. I would be the weekend or the night guy, and the the right. star was the station. And right. when I started doing this this podcast, and I, I I really had no idea it would go as far as as it's gone with some of the people I've spoken to. Uh, but I've never had to kind of sell myself. I would always sell the, the station out that I was on in a way, and right. it's just awkward for me, um, you know, just because I'm. And maybe it's it's maybe it's different when you're uh, a guitarist because uh, Slash is apparently still very shy and gets nervous hiding behind. Uh, not everyone's going to be up front like Eddie Van Halen and, and just going crazy. Uh, but just because I, I I talk, I'm like you. When I'm around a lot of people, I get really quiet. I'm really awkward. I, I'm just shy all the time, and I have to force it. Even on like talking right now, I kind of have to force it because that's not who I am naturally. And I also was, uh, I wanted to take a break from radio because all the other BS was sucking the life out of me. And I'm like, right. why am I doing this again? And and it's oddly enough, this podcast has kind of renewed my love for radio. Why did I initially get into it? Got into it to, you know, not be interrupted by commercials after you talk 30 seconds, <laughs> to not play the same song for 40 years, to actually connect with listeners instead of giving them away uh, tickets to the fair over the weekend, you know, some sort of prize. Right. So I had to right. find myself as well. I had to go to, you know, AA meetings and, and, and figure it out before I can really get back on the horse of my career. So I, I completely understand what you mean, and I'm sure many other people uh, do. So I'm glad that you're in a good place uh, but what's interesting, because you mentioned, um, you know, obviously being from a small uh, small town, Winnipeg, and that's what a lot of people uh, think about with, with Axel, small town Lafayette, Indiana. And, of course, he became, you know, uh, Axel Rose. So I'm wondering how, uh, since you and Duff uh, became friends, you know, the happenstance of just being in bands and, and connecting, how then were you, and it's awesome that you were basically recruited for their punk rock album and i'm wondering how i guess how did that happen and how was the song choice picked where how did the selection go to pick to play johnny thunders how uh were you approached to do the album how was the recording process i guess that 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 part of it um well here's here's the truth (laughs) is i got a call one afternoon when I was living living in West Hollywood, um, from Duff saying, "Hey man, you want to come down and play on?" He says, "Oh, do you know how to play? You can't put drums in a memory." And I'm like, "Well, yeah." <laughs> and it was it was it was originally going to be on his Believe in Me record. Oh, okay. That's that's what it was cut. Um, so he called me, said, "Hey, do you know this song?" I'm like, "Yeah." And he says, "You want to come down and play on it?" And I said, "Absolutely." 
So I went down to the studio somewhere down Melrose. I can't remember the name of the studio. You know, it was a high-end studio, of course, being shit. Must have been, what, 92 when that happened? I'm guessing something like that. And so I get down there, and Duff had put down the drums, the acoustics, and the bass, and the vocals. So basically, there was just electric guitars to do. So I, you know, pick up his late 50s Les Paul special, and, you know, they plug me in and whatever. And, you know, it was not a sober workplace, let's say. Okay. And uh, because Duff had cut the drums without anybody else playing, it wasn't particularly in time. Like, and there was certain human instincts in, in his drumming that were not on the original let's say so it took a while to to get it because there was things weren't in time at certain places i don't know if they ever fixed them or whatever but so he's screaming at me i thought you knew this song and i was like i don't know i you know i remember thinking at the time well, I, I thought you might know how to play it too so <laughs> anyway so you know it 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 we finished it up and it was cool and it was great. Then I did some solos on it and stuff. And, uh, then the next thing I know, he calls me up and he said, Oh, Axel demands that this song goes on the spaghetti incident. And I was like, uh, I said, okay, it doesn't make any difference to me because, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just a session really. And, uh, really? It, it wasn't, because uh, still a solo album from one of the Guns N' Roses guys is big, but to be on a Guns N' Roses album, there was no like, wow, I'm going to be on a Guns N' Roses album, or it really didn't make a difference to you? You know, I mean... Because they were big no, at the time, it, of course. Well, they were probably the biggest band in the world. Right. I um, I, you know, I, I just don't really think that way. You know, okay. I mean, to me, to me, it was just playing on a friend's session. You know, that's cool. It was, you know, I mean, it was cool and everything, but I, I you know, it wasn't. I didn't really think about it. It was kind of like, yeah, I'm more of a. Even back then, I was more of an in the moment kind of guy versus what I did a week ago or a month ago or six months ago. You know, it's kind of like I never really looked back and thought about where I should be or whatever, you know, I was oh, kind of like, I'm jealous of that thought you, process. I, I want to be in the moment so much. That's why I'm in therapy. I'm like, I, I just got to live in the moment and enjoy life and stop freaking out about everything. Anyway, it's, you know, I think I was pretty much always that way. Good for you. Maybe it's just a self survival mechanism. Cause Lord knows I fucked up enough in my past to bring, to bring any man down to his knees. But you know, who knows? Just the way it is. So you know, it was you know it was cool, of course, but I didn't really, I didn't really think about it. To tell you the truth, it was just you know, I think that was no, that was after. See, I got asked to audition after Izzy quit. Oh, okay. Uh, Duff called me and said, "Hey, man, Izzy quit today," and I was like, "Oh." 
that's not good because Stephen had already been gone. So, and I said, he goes, uh, you know, Slash brought your name up to maybe play guitar. And I said, yeah, you know, whatever. Sure. <laughs> Jesus. And it was so Slash I, that brought it up? Cause obviously you're friends with that, Duff. That's, that's, I mean, I knew Slash a little bit. I mean, I, you know, I knew Izzy a little bit, Steven a little bit, Axel not so much, but yeah, that's what Duff told me anyway. He says, hey, Slash brought your name up and are you interested? And I said, sure. I said, well, but you're going to have to send me copies of all the records because I don't own any. So he couriered over a bunch of cassettes, I think it was at that time. And I spent like a couple of weeks learning everything. And I guess when Gilby showed up, I guess they just grabbed him or something. I don't know. I'm not sure whatever happened, but. Hmm. So, yeah, it was cool, you know, and then it came out, like the spaghetti incident, and it came out in, fuck, I don't know, was it late 93? Right. Or early 94 or something. And uh, I was on tour with Duff in Europe when the single for it, I think it was Ain't It Fun, and I don't know what was on, came out, and he gave me a copy. November 93. November ninety three. Yeah. Yeah, we were we were in somewhere in Europe, I think, at that time. And uh yeah. So and then when I got home off those tours I got a platinum record and uh, delivered by somebody. <laughs> That's pretty and, great. Uh, yeah. <laughs> strange. I mean Strange, sure. Know, strange, but I never have ever put it up. Really? Is, well, that, is that a my, yeah? Is it maybe that I, goes along with your personality? You you don't want to show off anything. Uh, you know, I mean, my ex-wife put it up, and I didn't. You know, I kind of like eh, whatever. And then when we split up and everything, and then my my wife Paula today not today put it up, but <laughs> she put it up in the studio, and I was like, okay, and. uh it, no, it's just, I don't know. I think a lot of it is, I don't want, uh, how do I put this? I don't want my, I don't want that to be the highlight of my life because I don't think it's the highlight of my life. I got you. It, you know, it, it doesn't, uh, what's the fucking phrase I'm looking for? It doesn't define me. Okay. I guess, maybe, you know, it's like, it's a cool song. I mean, it's a great song. I think the version's cool, um, but you know, I'm, I'm as then today. I'm much more interested in what I'm doing today than what I did yesterday. And you know, it's cool. You know, it's great. You know, and people don't seem to understand my. And it's not that I don't care, because you know, I think it's cool and everything. But I just, you know, my brother used to bring friends over to my house and. He'd make sure to tell them, hey, you know, he played on this record, and they'd all be in awe, and mm. just kind of embarrassed me. Mm. But I got you too. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I got that feeling. My my girlfriend would be like, he just interviewed Alice Cooper, and I'd be like, it was over the phone. Like, and I just get all shy and be like, I don't know, I'm not like his friend. You know, I'm lucky. Right. Uh, so I, I understand that that feeling as well, and. That's what I, you know, I really appreciate, and that's that's the attitude I go into, not just with your interview, but with all of them, is that I don't want to pick a 
the Guns N' Roses connection as your defining moment and just spend, you know, 45 minutes, an hour just talking about that. I want to learn about the person behind that moment because they offer so much more. It just seems to be for what, you know, it's a Guns N' Roses song and just there's a lot of variables as to why that seems to be the number one on the Google. Well, actually, you're, you're number one in the Google search is your website, which is perfect. But you know what I mean? In the Google search of life, you know, what, what rises to the top, what defines, you know, what what do other people think that maybe define you? So that's what I try to break down because I'm like, there's got to be a story why this guy came on the album. And, and, and I was happy to learn that you're, you know, when I started researching, when you said yes, uh, the new music uh, that you're doing. So I, I totally get that. You know, I, I think I wouldn't like if you were the person that would put it up and and every person who came over you know from a friend to the mailman hey check this out look what i did you know all these you're not that guy so that's 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 great i'd rather have your uh, again i'd rather have your your temperament uh than most so that's that, that is pretty cool and again especially yeah. especially since um do you, i guess i i don't know i'm kind of answering it in my own head you're not going to look back cuz you seem like not to be this kind of guy but for someone who auditioned for for GNR, do you ever look back and be like, where would my life have gone? Obviously, it was short lived for Gilby, uh, you know, just a couple years. So who knows what? It, I don't know if it would have been the same for you, if you would have continued, or what would have happened. But do you ever play that game of maybe no. or, or what if? Just is that part? no? Okay, that's good. No, no. I mean, it's uh, I don't know. I just. You know, being in recovery and stuff like that, you know, I I don't want to be that guy. And, I, you know, what people do in recovery is completely cool for me. God bless everybody. We all have different paths, and we all ended up in the same room via different paths, yet we're all there. Mm. I, I just never want to be that guy who blames me ending up in the room on things that I should have done, could have done, did do erroneously. You know, I just, to me, just the fact that I was in the room was reason enough for me. And, you know, I, playing that what if, you know, I wish I would have, all it's going to lead to is, is, you know, disappointment, fucking anger, resentment or whatever, you know? Yeah. It's, it's like, a dangerous I, you know, game. I, well, it's a game you can't win. Sure, yeah, because, right. Because, you know, the history between then and now proves that it didn't happen, therefore I can't worry about it. You know, and it's, uh, you know, but Gilby was the right guy, you know? Yeah. I, I, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, I met Gilby many times, good dad, you know? Great first solo record. You know, and, you know, he got it and I didn't. That's, you know, do I, do I care? You know, no, I can't, I can't live in that because it's just, it takes away every moment I spent, if I was to, every moment I'd spend thinking about what could have been is a moment I'm taking out of what can be. Well said. That's, that's well said. When you, since you knew uh, some of the guys beforehand, had you, 
and you obviously had played with with Duff. Had you played before with with Slash or, or Steven or, or Izzy? Any of them just jamming one night uh, out and about, or you just kind of knew them in, in passing, perhaps playing the same clubs? Or well, parties? when I met them the first time, I mean, I met Duff obviously in like '83 or whatever. Was in '87 when they were out with the Cult, the first. I think first, because the record had just come out in Canada, I believe it was June or July '87. So they were not really well known at all. I mean, I knew who they were, and Duff had sent me an advance cassette and blah blah blah. But um, they were on tour with the Cult, and I was on tour in Vancouver, and we met up, and uh, they came over to where we were staying and hung out and. <clears throat> and uh, uh, we we played that night. My band at that time was the Hellcats, and they came out with not Axel, but everybody else was out. And you know, we all hung out, and then ended up at Slash and Duff's hotel room. And Slash was pretty drunk, and he kind of got a bit ornery and was throwing shit out the window at parked cars and shit. <laughs> Yes, so that was my introduction to Slash. <laughs> That's a good one. Mm, yeah, it was pretty weird, but, you know, whatever. And uh, so, you know, we met them, and then the next By the way, I don't know if you're playing uh, Space Invaders, but I hear, like, a, a beeping. Oh, is it better? Yep, went away. Okay. And then we met up with them again. Oh, it's my... The dog is cool. <laughs> Frankie Shush. <laughs> um, uh, when they were opening for Maiden across Canada, and they they were it was just before Sweet Child came out, and so you know they had the bus and everything, and uh, I think they were playing a Monday night. Got in town on a Sunday, if memory serves. And back then in Winnipeg, you couldn't buy alcohol at all on a Sunday. Which didn't go over well with those guys, of course. <laughs> of course not. At, this was 87, so, or no, 88, I think. So anyway, we had them all, We and, me and my ex-wife invited them over for a barbecue, and we had a bunch of drinks. We had a bunch of alcohol and stuff like that. So kind of got to know them, you know. I wouldn't say me and Slash were good friends, or friends even. I mean, I actually have a funny Slash story that kind of hilarious but anyway maybe later um so i got to know them a little bit and you know when a band is on the road especially when they weren't making any money you know really at that point you know a a home-cooked meal was always a good thing you know so by the time i moved down to la in 90 or 91 they, you know, they weren't calling me up or anything, but, you know, when we would run into each other, we'd know who we were, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I don't know where we were going with this. <laughs> it's all good. I was just, well, this could be a good time for that funny uh, Slash story, if if you're uh, okay to all share. All right. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, I'm sure he doesn't remember. <laughs> um, oh, so we're in the rainbow one night, and this is probably ninety, what, ninety three or something, I guess. 
So, you know, everyone's well intoxicated amongst other things. And Slash comes up to me and he goes, hey, man, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, hey, Slash, how you doing? He goes, you know, man, you need to jam. And I was like, yeah, okay. He goes, I'll give you my number where I'm staying. I'm like, okay. So he gives me his phone number and stuff. And next day, my ex-wife, Aaron, she goes, you need to call Slash. And I'm like, I'm not going to call Slash because I know what's going to happen. She goes, no, 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 no. You need to call Slash. So I'm like, all right, okay. So, so I call Slash and he goes, hello? And I said, hey, Slash, it's Richard. First thing he says to me is, how the fuck did you get this number? <laughs> and I was like, um, uh, you gave it to me last night and told me to call you, remember? He goes, oh, yeah, right. Uh, I'm really busy right now. Can I call you later? And I was like, yep. And that was the last I ever heard of it. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> see, see, you know what? There, there is no reason to, to look back. You just have all these wonderful stories that have accumulated and made you the person that you are uh, today. I, I, you know, I guess the, the biggest decision you may have to make now is if and when to share them with your, your kids, some of these stories. Oh, my daughter Violet's going to be 11 in September, and she, she already knows I'm crazy and insane. <laughs> okay. I've, I've told her some stories. One day I was driving her to, to school, and she looks at me, and she's like, you ever, have you ever ridden in a limo, in a limousine, Daddy? And I was like, yeah, actually, as a matter of fact, I have. She goes, I bet it wasn't a real one. What? <laughs> and I went, man, that's a good point. <laughs> well, she has your sense of humor, apparently. Oh, she, yeah, she does. <laughs> Unfortunately for any potential male suitors in 10 years or whenever. Who <laughs> oh, am I kidding? <laughs> Let's say 10 years. <laughs> Do yeah, you, uh, but, this is an interesting, it could be a good segue into uh, listening to some more new music. Uh, as a dad, do you teach her, or do you just let her like what she likes as far as music? You know, do you uh, do you play some of your records in the background? Do you play, you know, the Stooges for her, or do you just if she gravitates towards Taylor Swift and the Jonas Brothers, that's fine. You know, how are you musically uh, with your kid? Um, you know, there was a point, like you know, shit, say four or five years ago. When she was six or seven or something, whatever it was, uh, she would go and put on the first Keith Richards solo album, Talk is Cheap. And I was kind of, you know, a proud father moment, of course. I was like, yeah, you know what? This kid's going to be fine. Uh, She, I had a gift certificate for, uh, what was it? Uh, Amoeba Records that somebody gave me for Christmas. So I, took her into Hollywood and we went to you know what Amoeba is it's like this huge record store that has a shit ton of records and you know kind of like the old days yeah, those exist okay I, I'm they not will. familiar is it a regional yeah. thing is it or am I just yeah uh, okay I think it's I think it's LA and Berkeley okay maybe yeah it's I think it's I think anyway it's a the west coast thing so we're we're in there and I you know fuck 
well, what do I know about buying records anymore? So I find a Johnny Thunders biography, the In Cold Blood one, which was like, I don't know, 30 bucks or something. And so I had 20 bucks left over, and we're out, and she sees this record by this artist called Billie Eilish. Okay. And she was so excited. And so I was like, you know, cool. So I, went, I picked up the album. It was actually vinyl. And it was like $26 or something. And I went, what the fuck? <laughs> and I was like, really? They're charging 25 bucks for an album now? Which I guess is the norm. I don't know. So I bought her that, and she was never so happy, you know? And she's going to listen to what, you know, every generation has something or needs something to call their own. And I get that, you know? Which that makes sense. may not jive with, you know, my taste, but why would it, you know? It's like, I certainly wouldn't expect somebody who's 20 years old to, you know, what do I know? Anyway, so she's, <laughs> you know, she's done a, she's recorded a song and did a video for it, which is really awesome, actually. Um, so she, you know, and she takes piano and sings and, you know, it's kind of, she needs to make her own decisions about what she really loves doing, you know, it's, it, you know, I'm not going to push her again in one thing. She's got to figure it out for herself. Okay. Well, you never know then. Uh, what is Billie Eilish? I think she's like 17, right? So maybe you'll have yeah. a, you'll have a rock star in six years, and she'll be able to, you know, buy you a new house or another pool or something. Who knows? Uh, well, you know, knowing I mean I don't know the record industry, quote unquote, whatever it may be today. I mean, it just seems it just seems so suited to product versus artists if that makes any sense yeah the, the image yeah, more it, than the uh, the substance of, of right you know right I, I mean that's my take on it i i'm so far removed from it because you know i just make records to satisfy my own yeah yes and you know, all I you have to do is read the the lyrics, you know, because I was um, I was curious. I don't really go out, uh, and I don't. Know, I guess being in radio, music is tends to, to find you, and a lot of the sites that I follow. And I'm like, who is this Billie Eilish? I don't listen to any of those stations. And then you just do more research, and all right, she has some unique things about her. She's not just a, you know, a, like a, another pop star. But then you right. read the lyrics of her songs, and it's like, uh, there's no Carly Simon kind of lyrics. There's no nothing. There's nothing there, you know. But I guess if it's enough to motivate, you know, her fans, obviously, and she has billions of fans, whatever. Right. But I, I just don't. Yet lyrically, it's different. She. It's more about when I hear about her, it's about the big clothes. It's about her image. It's never about what is she singing about. So I, right, I get I mean, that. You know, I mean, fuck. In nineteen seven, maybe cat scratch fever. I mean, what the hell does well, Dang 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 <laughs> have to say? You Fair know? enough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how I look at it. It's like, 
not everybody's cut out to be Bob Dylan, you know? That is very true. That is very true. So uh, before we get into uh, some more new music, we, we started off the show with uh, with Death Defy, and I like how that, that started with kind of the, the spoken word and very kind of Alice Cooper-y. Uh, is that, what, what is that about, if you can tell us? Well, here I go into the obligatory new record spiel, but... Yeah, well, that's that's why you're here, because that's what defines you. New music, everything you're doing in the moment, that's what defines you. Mm, absolutely. Um, I started this record about, what, I don't know, about a year ago. And, you know, I, I'm pretty self-contained in terms of I can play bass and guitar, and I, I can quote-unquote sing and play drums, do drums anyway. So... I, my last two records, like the first solo thing I put out was called Gloriously Reckless, probably in 2012, maybe, something like that. And then last year I put out a CD called Lead Us to Temptation. And uh, not like I don't have a shit ton of songs, you know. I have lots of songs that I've written and that are ready to go, blah, 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 but... I was, for some reason, I was really listening to a lot of old Alice Cooper, like Pretties for You. You were? Okay. All right. So oh. I picked up on that then. Awesome. Yeah. Pretties for You. And, and I think my favorite Cooper record is probably Easy Action, I think. I mean, it changes, but I love how it's got the craziness and sanity of the first record but also more to the straight-ahead rock and roll, that killer, or not killer, but uh, love it to death kind of, uh, you know, where they were as a group at that particular time, before Bob Ezrin got a hold of them, basically. Hmm. Um, and, you know, kind of be stubborn as I am, I kind of wanted to just make a record that didn't adhere to the same arrangements, you know, as in, you know, intro, verse, chorus, first chorus, solo, third chorus, whatever, you know. And so I started doing a whole bunch of weird stuff. And there's a song on the last record called uh, I Gotta Move, which really, it I don't know, I just started singing in a lower register with more gravel in my voice and which ended up sounding somewhat like Alice Cooper, I guess. Um, it wasn't really a conscious thing. It just kind of happened. But so I kind of started molding this record out of wanting to make an inaccessible, accessible record. If that makes any sense. <laughs> sure. So there's a whole bunch of weird shit, weird times, signatures, intros that go on for a minute that whatever. And it kind of meanders, not meanders, that's probably not a, the right word, but it it goes, and it's it, basically it's a fairly apocalyptic record and in, in lyrical and, and theme where it's, you know, and I'm not a political guy. I mean, I have my my thoughts and everything else, but I'm not really a overt political, especially in songs, stuff like that. So, But it just kind of started shaping up, and I 
for the first time, actually, I started co-writing with somebody. And uh, this cat named Mark Floyd, he lives up in Vancouver. And he's just as twisted as I am, which is a compliment. <laughs> um, and we started, you know, because of technology, you know, I could send him part of the song and he could write the next part or whatever, or lyrics or whatever. So we just started collaborating. And at a certain point, I, I realized that we have this really dark record. And it's pretty murky production-wise. I'm not a big fan of modern production, put it that way, for the most part. I just think it's too clean and too precise. And, I agreed. Especially you know, in rock. Is, especially rock right. supposed to be raw and dirty and... Right. Yeah, I gotcha. And, and, you know, it just kind of turned into this thing. And we wrote a song called Dr. Silver. And it became this character. Like, it wasn't written as a concept record or anything else like that. And every song could be taken on its own and do its own thing. But thematically, it kind of, you know, it's pretty... It's hard to explain. It's not... It's not straight up rock and roll, but it's not too weird that you can't get into it. I don't know. It's hard to, and trying to cut down a clip into like a minute or whatever it was, is really hard because the songs are pretty complex and different parts and stuff like that. But you know, whatever. Sure. No, I, I got but, you. Cause I, I want people to hear, you know, buy the album and, and, and stream it where when it's available. So that's why, you know, I just right. want to play a, a clip of it. So, you know what? Since you mentioned it, let's just play a, a clip of uh, of Dr. Silver uh, off Bad okay. Juju. Awesome. Black and bones, they crack your throne. Some low-fi great divide. Ready? I love it because I, I, of course, I, I mentioned I hear the the Alice influence, but I hear the Iggy influence in there as well, and I like the rap. Right. You know, it's very guttural. It's it's missing in in rock, and you know, the Doctor Silver reminds me, of course, uh, like early Kiss. You know, Doctor Love and things like that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so well for this record, I you know, uh, given that we are inundated with so much in the technological world. Just we're getting bombarded with, you know, so many different things at so many from different places that people's attention spans are quite short these days. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to get people to, you know, say on Facebook or whatever, to watch a three or four minute video. I mean, good luck with that. Uh, so what what we're doing for the marketing, you know, which has never been my strong suit, as we talked about earlier, but... <laughs> My my wife, Paula Tiberius, is a filmmaker, and come with, well, we're trying 
we are doing this, but are doing a different approach. And we, this friend of ours, Tom Hayda, uh, he's a great cameraman and producer and stuff like that. We're doing a bunch of short videos, like a minute long clips of a bunch of the songs. And we're going to use that rather than put out a four minute video that people turn off after a minute or what, you know, just because they'll get a beep on the phone that they, somebody liked their post or, you know, mm. and you never get those people back. And so anyway, in a thematic way, we're using the character, Dr. Silver throughout all these videos. That's cool. Yeah. And I think I sent you that photo of what's going to be the cover of the record. Yep, that'll be on uh, social media attached to this uh, the link of this episode. Awesome. For sure. Um, and that, that's the character, Dr. Silver. No, I like it. It's, uh, uh, are, you, uh, it's, are you like a horror movie kind of guy as well or no? No, nah, I mean, you know, have you ever seen Last House on the Left? Yeah, I have. <laughs> I mean, to me, that's about as far as anybody really needs to go. <laughs> okay. Well, if it means anything, I'm as depraved as Slash when it comes to that. I mean, the, more, right. the more messed up, the better. That's where my mind was going. Like, this is a, uh, you know, a guide when, like uh, like Elvira, kind of like an Elvira or, or Crypt Keeper kind of guiding you through the, the movies right. or the shorts. Right. That's where, that's where my, uh, my chemical imbalance was taking me in that moment. No, that's, a, that's exactly what it is. Cool. You know, and it's, to just kind of have like for continuity, but also in a sense, it, he's the narrator of the insanity, mm. which, which is, you know, our world today, mm. basically. Yeah. And being on the brink of, you know, a million different things going wrong at the same time. It's just, you know, and it kind of allows, frees me up to not, have to be me, you yeah. know, yeah, it, it's yeah. kind of, it's become almost a third person sort of thing. Um, it's interesting. I posted on Facebook, I don't know, shit, two months ago or a month and a half ago, a photo from one of the Dr. Silver shoots. And this friend of mine messaged me and she said, you know, what would your younger self think of what you're doing now, basically? Hmm. Like, I kind of got the impression that she thought I was embarrassing myself or something, you know, okay. I, I, I didn't, I didn't really engage in it too much, but it, for a second, it kind of gave me a bit of self doubt in terms of, you know, maybe I am embarrassing myself, but then the more I thought about it, the younger self would have said, fuck yeah, this is exactly what you should be doing because you grew up with Kiss, with uh, Alice Cooper, blah, 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 blah. It's like, you know, it's not like I'm going to go on stage in that outfit, let's say. I think you need a powerful image or imagery these days to get noticed. Yeah, yeah, the, and, the, absolutely. I mean, someone as talented as Lady Gaga, look what she had to do. You know, mm-hmm. and, and she has she has the talent. You know, she didn't have to go. She's toned it down in recent years, but that right. was kind of well, what made her famous was her look. 
Uh, but well, she was also just, and is, is extremely talented. At least I think so. Well, just just so you know, I have my meat suit on order. <laughs> nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so you know, it's it's turned into this the the whole bad juju record. It's turned into kind of an art project, which I am totally comfortable with. You know, it's like I don't really have any expectations about the record, uh, other than. You know, I'm fucking way proud of it, and and you know, uh, me and Mark and his wife Lagaya, my wife Paula. I mean, we're all 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 of us are all over this record in a lot of different ways, and and to have the accompanying videos and stuff. It's you know, if nothing else, it'll be a cool art project, and I'm good with that. Well, that's great. I mean, that should really always be the goal. We were talking about success uh, earlier, but is to be proud of what you're doing and to collaborate totally. with people that you, you know, like or love in the case of your wife, you know, mm-hmm. to, to put out this project. So you're doing it. You're still doing it. So younger you, even though I never knew younger you, uh, I'm sure would be very proud of what you have going on today. So let's, um, so let's uh, wrap this up with uh, playing some more new music. And yeah. I, I want people to, to hear Bad Juju, and you said that comes out probably the uh, the first week in September, right? I believe I believe so. Yes. Okay, so I mean, this episode will be out before then, and we'll you know I'll put on social media when it when it's out and how people can get it. But um, awesome. in in the spirit of just what rock used to be, I got some uh, contributions from listeners uh, of mine. Oh. Uh, this is from Eddie, who's uh, out of Portland. His band is called Hippie Death Cult, and their album, actually, uh, as we're recording this, it is uh, Thursday the 25th, so I think I'm going to put this out Friday the 26th, so the album is out now, or today, as I can say that, and he gave me a clip of a song called uh, Black Snake, and he... this. I like because he said what it's about, and I liked it. And he he initially reached out because he feels GNR fans would like it. Uh, it's about the uh, Dakota Access Pipeline, uh, that whole controversy desecrating uh, sacred sites and the overall greed of uh, people to, in power destroying our our natural planet. So let's hear. <laughs> so let's hear some awesome. uh, hippie death cult, uh, Black cool. Snake. Of course, uh, and they were excited to hear that uh, we were going to play it on the episode with you listening. But for me, very cool. Sabbathy typo negative uh, feel. Um, right. Yep. What are your What are your impressions of that? Fuck, I love the I love what they're singing about. Absolutely. Um, to be honest, it was pretty distorted in my. Okay. Fair uh, enough. So uh, we 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 won't judge it then if it's distorted because I know you're listening on the phone and I have a a clear uh, listen. So I I don't want you to comment if you didn't hear it properly yeah it was honestly it was pretty distorted 
All right, so let's uh, <laughs> let's, Sorry. let's say in real life uh, it's, it doesn't sound distorted. It, it didn't to me. So let's try. Hopefully, this one doesn't uh, down okay. the line. And obviously, we we could have uh, prepped this beforehand, but that's just the way uh, rock and roll radio goes. It's just it's it's all, all blemishes. So this is from in the moment. <laughs> this is from uh, Dallas Dwight uh, out of Charlotte, and he was actually a co-host of one of the episodes that I did and when we interviewed uh, Bruce McKagan of course Duff's brother and right. and Bruce was doing this charity event down in uh the in, in the I think North Carolina South Carolina and Duff went down there to play it to, to help the homeless and Dallas was actually went on stage to play with Duff and some other local musicians so uh yeah. he has a band called the LA maybe so you're neck of the woods uh, and this is yeah. called She's Reckless. And this is coming out uh, the 2nd, August 2nd, I believe. Cool. Here we go again. I know she's coming for me. I try to stop it, but I can't resist. She's coming for me. Here we go again. I know she's coming for me. Cause what I want is what she's got. And what she's got is she's reckless. And she's got Was that distorted for you, or no? Did you hear that one better? Uh, uh, it was much better, actually. Oh, That's okay. Cool. Interesting. It, uh, sounds like rock and roll is alive and well. <laughs> right on. I, I I hear the slash influence on you, Dallas, because uh, they're both guitarists, uh, both Eddie from Portland and, and Dallas from Charlotte. So I can hear the slash influence, and, and just like when I heard it, too, they, they both were very honest. Hey, you could play it if if you like it. <laughs> and right. I didn't wow. have to fake it because I do like both no. tunes and 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 knowing the both Eddie and Dallas who are on the younger side, uh, and you who are a uh, let's just say a veteran, you're a fine wine, <laughs> you know. Uh, that real rock and roll is out there, man. It, it's out there. We it gotta, is. So. It is. It's just uh, it's just not in the charts, and it's not. I mean, fuck, live venues, God, you know, there's just so much going against it. But, you know, as long as people just keep playing it for the right reasons, it'll always be there. Absolutely. No, it, it will. It will. And, uh, you know, you're you're an inspiration. You know, you, you really are to, uh, you know, a lot of people who have had to, you know, fight for what they want to do, fight for what they I, I want, I'm tempted to say fight for the right to party. I, I'm not going to say that. You know, fight, <laughs> just, just fight for their integrity. You know, fight for uh, just who they are and never lose their sense of self. Even though you had your battles, you seem to really just know who you are and what you want to do and what you don't want to do. And that's, uh, you would think that would be more common, but people can be persuaded to, to lose well, themselves. We, my wife and I, and, uh, some friends about three, two years ago, we did a kids' record called "Be Who You Are," hmm. and having having a, a young girl in, in my case, you know, you you see the influence. I mean, not that it's really changed. I don't think a lot over the decades, but you know, everybody wants to fit in, and everybody wants to have their click or clique or whatever the hell the word is, you know, but about being who you are and it's like at the end of the day if you're trying to be something you're not you're not you're not succeeding in life 
and it's, you know, it's not always the easiest path, but I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you gotta, you have to be yourself and whatever, whatever, wherever that journey takes you is the important thing. Absolutely. And that's kind of what I've had to tell myself. I, I never had uh, the talent to be any sort of rock star. So even though I wanted to be one, I went the radio route. And, you know, as I mentioned before, this is the first real project in radio. You know, I've been doing radio for 15 years or more than that. But this is the first thing that's essentially me. And I can't be anyone else. I can't be Eddie Trunk. I can't be, right. you know, Howard Stern. I don't want to be these people. I can only be awkward Brandon, that's I, I, that's how I, I know how to be. You know, and that's that's it. You hide it. You hide that really well. <laughs> Thank you. I guess that's what people uh, tell me. I'm like in my head. I'm just all the time right. like, why am I so awkward and weird? And I guess I I don't know. I hide it. Yeah. Well, until no. I tell people about it, until I tell people right. and ruin the surprise that I'm freaking right. out on the inside. <laughs> I guess. But that's you know the speaking from my experience the the being sober part of it is like you have to how do I put this you know your head my head tells me a lot of stuff that's not true mm, very true that is true <laughs> and, and, you know and it's so easy to get caught up in that whole you know um, no matter how old or how young you are you know nobody likes me Everybody likes me. I'm ugly. I'm beautiful. You're beautiful. You're ugly. Whatever. It's like, you know, it's maybe it's an age thing where I've kind of learned to just kind of not listen to my brain so much. <laughs> I, I, I understand. You know, I was reading like an interview with Slash, I don't know, last week or something. And the interviewer asked something about, you know, is that why you keep busy to keep your mind occupied so you don't have those crazy thoughts that lead you? I mean, it's been well documented that, you know, Slash, when he got home off tour, that's when the real problems would start because right. he didn't have, you know, and that's, it's really true. It's, you know, we, we need to, and we need to make ourselves happy. And that, however, we do that. You know, you it's radio, me it's music. But it being fulfilling that part of our lives makes the rest of our lives, or at least my life, better. You know, it allows me to be a better father and a better husband, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Without the music occupying a large chunk of my time, I'm I'm uh, I'm a danger and a menace to society. I tell you. <laughs> I completely understand, and uh, I'm sure you'll agree. the The nice uh, side effect to it all, doing what we love, is that we get to impact other people. You know, people have been Hopefully. inspired and, uh, by your music yep. and have a good time with you. And you know, as I just showed you one email that I got, which led to this episode. So that's what kind of what keeps me going as well. And you know, that that's why we went uh, a little long with this episode because you've just been a, a, a pleasure to speak with and to pick your brain and see where you came from. Um, thank you. Uh, Richard, I can't thank you enough. Please uh, certainly update us uh, when Bad Juju comes out. We'll put it out on social media, that as well. Uh, but in the awesome. meantime, where can fans find uh, reach out to you? Uh, RichardDuguay.com, uh, is that the best place to go? Yeah, the website is kind of going to be ramped up for the new record, hopefully soon. Um, 
I'm on Facebook, uh, my regular page, Richard Duguay, and then there is um, there's a what they call a fan page, uh, Richard Duguay Rocks on Facebook. You can get at me there as well. Uh, yeah, and we're gonna hopefully have some links up within the next week, I believe. Some of the clips of the record and tree sales and blah 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 goodies whatnot so um yeah but you know hitting me up on facebook is never a bad thing awesome well uh richard i I can't thank you enough for your your time and you know your insight and and the laughs all all all, uh all the above so just thank you so much and you're always welcome back anytime after the record because um that's that's what i like it's like okay this one person uh, for our six degrees, our our uh, cloak of this podcast, our theme, uh, one song, right? And I'm like, yep. w- there's so much more behind it, you know. And that's all I need. It's to pull that thread, and you find us so much more about a person. And that's kind, mm-hmm. and that's what I really like doing. And uh, you know, I I could be, I can just be saying thank you for another 15 oh. minutes or so. So just I'll put I'll. Where am I going with this? Yeah, no, that that's it, Richard. <laughs> just, just looking, just looking forward to everything, and, and until next time, just uh, you know, you have a great day, and I appreciate you. Uh, you also taking the time to listen to uh, some other music, even though they sounded a little distorted to you. That's okay. Yeah, I would love to. Well, we can talk later. Uh, I'd love to hear them in a better, better quality. Let's say. But uh, thank you so much for talking to me, and it's I appreciate uh, number one what you're doing and why you're doing it because that's always a huge distinction for me um and um we will definitely talk soon and uh, thank you again thanks richard what a cool guy and i think a great example of an interview uh that we do here on the afd show yeah we have the the gnr theme the six degrees of guns and roses bacon looking at everything through uh guns and rose colored glasses but that's just a theme uh, more than just more than just hey, it's my talk show. I don't want it to be that ever. Just to be the Brando show. That's uh, I. That's why I identify with Richard. I'm not somebody to sell myself, and I want it to be more than just a a rock podcast. Because if that happens, I, I still want to be able to talk to you know people like Pollyanna McIntosh from The Walking Dead. Uh, we had her on, or Tom Green, or Jim Brewer. You know, I. I I, I want it to be more than just a generic podcast type. I want it to be special, and that's what we are. So if we find a, a guest like Richard, who does have the fit the criteria of the six degrees of GNR bacon, but we're not spending the time solely on that. We're learning about his punk upbringing. How did that lead him to the special moment in his life and, and everything that happened afterwards and where he is today? It's the whole ride that we take you on an appetite for distortion that I think is, is really special and I appreciate every single one of you who reach out, including uh, Alex from Australia who prompted me uh, not to speak to Richard per se, but to do more spaghetti incident uh, episodes. So he was still the indirect catalyst uh, of this episode. So again, I read the letter last episode. It's on social media, but Alex from Australia, thanks for making this episode happen. So if you have a guest suggestion, you can be like Alex from Australia and send an email to theafdshow at gmail.com or 
course, you can hit us up on social media, facebook.com slash the AFD show or on Twitter at the AFD show. In the meantime, please just continue to uh, subscribe and listen. The only way, the only reason why I'm doing these episodes is because of you. So if you found us through alternativenation.net, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud, iTunes, CastBox, however you listen, thank you so much. Uh, Just, again, hit the uh, subscribe button. Uh, Make sure our numbers go up because people look into me. Well, that sounded weird. But Richard did his due diligence after— you know, I originally reached out to him and, and to see what I'm all about. So when people look, they look at the social media. They look at your interactions. They look at former guests. They see how many subscribers I have. They want to know, is this podcast worth me doing? And because of you, most people say yes. <laughs> it's still the Guns N' Roses world. It's always a fight to get guests. Uh, but we've been doing a pretty great job so far, I think. So until the next one. When will you see the next episode of the AFT show? New words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy. You'll see it. I don't know if as soon as the word. Thanks to the lame ass security, I'm going home. <laughs>